The Banksters, yo. Okay. The Banksters real business. What's going on here? The Banksters real business. Are we, what are we playing with here over on uh, Wisdom? Wisdom, you are really annoying me here, Wisdom. Really annoying me. Uh, this is not cool. Not cool at all. Hello, hello, Wisdom. Can we get a... Hello? All right, there we go. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's get this, this party started. So, Babylon's Banksters. My sound check here. Babylon's Banksters. Monopoly War. Babylon's Banksters. Monopoly War. You're listening to Babylon's Banksters, Monopoly War, presented by Hakeem Alibokas Alexander on Wisdom Social Podcasting and Spreaker. Actually, that's uh, Spreaker Social Podcasting. Wisdom Social Audio Inc. and uh, Colin Social Podcasting presented for World Reading Club in association with Unique Equilibrium. This edition's reading focus comes to us from Babylon's Banksters, the alchemy of deep physics, high finance, and ancient religions by Joseph P. Farrell, published in 2010. This is what looks like the final chapter, which is great. It's like numerology. It's chapter nine. And its title is The Bankster's Real Business, The Pattern of War, Scarcity, Suppression, Slavery, and monopolization just checking over on Colin real quick to see what's going on there and because uh, I'm using my second device here to record and broadcast that live as well so let's take a look chapter 9 the banksters real business the pattern of war scarcity suppression slavery and monopolization and as I mentioned I think that it's great that this is the finishing up here because it's nine, just like there are only nine numbers in counting, truly. Everything always goes back to nine. This chapter starts off with a, a quote, as usual, which I left off the last uh, recording and podcast with, which it says, in the course of the next several decades, a functioning structure of global cooperation based on geopolitical realities could thus emerge and gradually assume the mantle of the world's current regent, which has for the time being assumed the burden of responsibility for world stability and peace. Geostrategic success in that case would represent a fitting legacy of America's role as the first, only, and last truly global superpower. It's interesting because this uh, seems to ring true for today. That was, by the way, that quote is by Zbigniew Brzezinski, 
um, because of all the stuff that's happening right now with the BRICS summit that just happened in South Africa on August 22nd. But let's see what exciting and interesting things Babylon's Banksters has to say to us right now in this final uh, chapter here. Babylon's Banksters. The fact that so many ancient temples heretofore surveyed show evidence not only of a profound association with the stars through their astrological alignments and with the physics of the medium through their incorporation of sacred geometries and their local and their location on an earth grid over nodal points of standing waves within local space, but also with international banking through the prominent association of money changers whose temples is an indicator that at a deep and profound level, perhaps as a legacy of the very high civilization from which they sprang, these classical civilizations, these classical civilizations through their marriage of banking and astrology preserved the dim memory of a lost science that unified physics, economics, and finance. A, the historical patterns of suppression. One, of the financial alchemy of money as credit of the nation. Moreover, we have presented evidence that this class existed in more or less unbroken continuity both racially and ethnically and in terms of the methods and policies it has pursued throughout history. Additionally, suggestive allegations were presented that at least one member family of this class, the Rothschilds, traced their lineage directly back to one of the Sumerian elite, Nimrod. In this, at least the method surveys have been consistent. One. The basic methodology of the banksters, both in ancient and in modern times, has been to substitute one notion of money for another, and thereby to usurp the power of the state to create and issue money and substitute a private monopoly for its creation. So this is the basic methodology in both ancient and modern times to substitute one notion of money for another. Substitute one notion of money for another. That's huh. that's that's the terminology I'm looking for. Substitute substitute one notion of money. And remember, this is a notion. This is interesting. One notion of money for another. And what's the purpose? Um, and thereby usurp the power of the state. So usurp the power, the power of the state. To create and issue money, to create and issue money and substitute, substitute a private monopoly for its creation, a private monopoly 
for its creation. This is good. We're getting down to the nitty-gritty here. This is the meat and potatoes. This is what I was looking for. All right, so uh, let me check, give a check, quick check-in. Okay, good. So usurp to usurp the power of the state to create and issue money and substitute a private monopoly for its creation. In the former instance, the idea of money is that of a receipt for goods and services on the productive output of the state itself. So, the, so in the former instance, right, when the state issues money, it, the idea of money is a receipt, right, for goods and services on the productive output. Good. So, so money should be, right? Money should be, I'm going to put that should be, right? Should be a receipt for goods and services, for goods and services on the productive output. I'm just going to put on productive output, on productive output. Because one of the, the things that I've already determined is that um, production is the produce of land and the labor of, of mankind. So people working and, and working on the land to produce things. Right? So in the former instance, the idea of money is that of a receipt for goods and services on the productive output of the state itself. In other words, money is real money and is a unit of information of exchange based on the creative activity of a whole state. Money is, is a unit of information of exchange based on the creative activity of a whole state. It is thus issued by the state itself and free of any interest-bearing debt. In the latter case, money is false money what we have called a facsimile of money issued by a private monopoly and bearing debt interest and circulated as money. The facsimile of money, in other words, is a debt-bearing note, and debt under such a system can only increase and never be repaid. Hmm. In the first instance, it is to be noted Money represents the creation of information, right, i.e. units of exchange issued in proportion to the productive output of a state, and as such, the unit of exchange represents real information in the physical world. Right, this is such an important thing. I mean, I'm just wrapping it up good here. Right? So... In the first instance, right, state-issued money, it is to be noted, money represents the creation of information, i.e. units of exchange, issued in proportion to the productive output of a state, and as such, the unit of exchange represents real information in the physical world. In this instance, the connection between finance and physics is direct and overt and easily perceived. It is therefore an analog of the actual alchemical and transmutative properties, ultimately, of the physical medium itself. In the second instance, right, this is fed 
uh, issued money, private bank issued money, right? In the second instance, however, money represents almost the exact opposite, since it represents not production, but an interest-bearing debt, a kind of negative information that can only and must inevitably grow at a rate exponentially faster than the productive output of the state. It bears, in other words, no relation to physical reality. It is a kind of false alchemy, a financial black hole into which the productive output of a state is inevitably sucked, and from which it can never emerge, unless the very underlying idea of the facsimile of money is clearly repudiated and rejected. The system of the facsimile of money is, in other words, deliberately designed to enhance and enrich only those who control its issuance and can never serve the broader public good because it is not designed to do so. A. In the methods pursued to replace money by the facsimile of money, the bankster class, as we have seen, has invariably and throughout the centuries consistently followed a well-worn playbook, namely the creation or counterfeiting of the real money of a state to undermine public confidence in it, or in some place, cases, it has purchased the state's money issuance and taken it out of circulation, leaving only its own debt-bearing notes to circulate as a medium of exchange. B, as we have seen, from the historical examples represented in preceding pages, whenever a leader or state has attempted to reject the principle of facsimile of money, the international bankster class has mobilized those states it does control through that practice to make war against such breakaway states, or alternatively, the leaders of states advocating such policies of return to state-issued money as credit are curiously murdered with a consistency that belies mere coincidence. In this respect, the following exemplars were mentioned in previous pages. So I got to back up here. What's really interesting is what has happened with BRICS recently, right? Brazil, Russia, India, China, uh, South Africa. Um, that was held in South Africa, the summit on the 22nd of August. It's as if strength in numbers, right? Because if, if, as he says, right, in the methods pursued to replace money by the facsimile of the moment, the bankster class, as we have seen, has invariably and throughout the centuries consistently followed a well-worn playbook, namely the creation or counterfeiting of real money of a state to undermine public confidence in it, or in some cases has purchased the state's money issuance and taken it out of circulation, leaving its own debt-bearing notes to circulate as a medium of exchange. But from historical, historical examples, whenever a leader or a state has attempted to reject the principle of, of the facsimile of money, right, rejecting the private banks, the international banks for class has mobilized those states it does control through that practice to make war against such breakaway states or alternatively, the leaders of states advocating such policies of return to state issued money as credit, they're curiously murdered with a consistency that belies mere coincidence. It makes you wonder sometimes, or at least me having this information and been looking at it for so long, if BRICS is a team effort to, to ensure that they're even if somebody is curiously murdered with a consistency that belies mere coincidence, it can't happen to all of them at once. 
If it did, it would be blatantly way too obvious of what's happening, right? So in this respect, the following exemplars were mentioned in previous pages. One, in modern times. Remember, this book is 2010. It's interesting that this is all coming to pass right now about the leaders wanting to go back to the state-issued money as credit, right? Okay, so one, in modern times, A, the manipulation of the collapse of the issuances of the Continental Congress during the 1780s by a return to the gold or bullion standard, which greatly contracted the American money supply, causing a depression during a period when planetary alignments always seem to suggest economic collapse or contraction. B, the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln for issuing debt-free greenbacks to finance the Northern effort during the American War between the states and the subsequent National Currency Act following a similar manipulated depression, which itself occurred during similar planetary alignments. C. The assassination of President James Garfield mere months into his presidency after he had suggested his willingness to return to state-created and issued debt-free money. D. The manipulation of the American money supply prior to and during the Great Depression, first by vastly expanding credit and then by vastly contracting the money supply again at a juncture when planetary alignments indicated economic turmoil and, as was seen, when Commerce Department data supplied by Edward Dewey indicated an inevitable cyclic downturn. You know, I just read in... Um, in uh, the little book of economics, uh, something that was similar, and I talked about it there, about uh, how Dewey, uh, Edward Dewey, in his uh, foundation for the study of cycles had mentioned, right? And so they also talked about how uh, this Frenchman, Charles Dunoyer, 1786 to 1862, revealed their cyclic form, right? So what is he talking about? The Swiss historian Jean-Charles Sismondi was the first to identify the occurrence of periodic economic crises. Now, this is in the little book of economics, so interestingly later, right? But it was the work of a later economist, the Frenchman Charles Dunoyer, 1786 to 1862, who revealed their cyclic form. So we have the cycles again being repeated here, and then again, right? Um, when Commerce Department data supplied by Edward Dewey indicated an inevit inevitable cyclic downturn. And these cycles, again, as uh, as we see uh, Joseph P. Farrell pointing out here, are happening um, at planetary alignments, a.k.a. Astro astrological alignments, right? That's what's essentially being said here. Continuing. E, some researchers as was seen in the previous pages, implied that the war against Nazi Germany had a secret purpose for the banking elite of the West, having aided Adolf Hitler's and the Nazis' rise to power, were quickly alarmed by Nazi Germany's deliberate moves to restore state-issued debt-free money and by her efforts to explore alternative paradigms of physics that would lead to her energy independence and self-sufficiency. F. Finally, and as many researchers have noted, President John F. Kennedy was murdered a mere five months after his issuance of an executive order authorizing the U.S. Treasury to print $4 billion worth of debt-free United States notes, bypassing the privately owned and controlled Federal Reserve Bank completely. Again, remember, BRICS just happened August, 20, August 22nd of this year is moving away from the same thing, or moving away from this black hole of financial uh, destruction, which is the Federal Reserve and other 
banks, private bank ownership, which are the cause of all of this inflation and all of these different depressions and everything like that, because it's essentially debt being issued and not real money issued by the state that is debt free. Two, similarly, in ancient times, the following was noted. A, the policies of Rome vis-a-vis -vis its trading partners in the East regarding the value of gold and silver bullion strongly indicated manipulation at both ends of the trading routes. Manipulation ultimately favorable to any class controlling bullion supplies. B, similar policies of issuance of false receipts or counterfeits of government currencies were noted with the ultimate issuance of debt-bearing bullion-backed notes of, of debt by a private monopoly, particularly in the case of ancient Babylonia. C. In the case of Sparta, it was also noted that it alone of all the ancient Greek city-states resisted this financial policy, a fact which led ultimately to the Peloponnesian War and to the eventual succumbing of Sparta to these policies and the class behind them. Two of the physical alchemy of energy from the medium. Two, similarly, both in ancient times and in modern ones, we have noted a persistent association of the banking class with the following things. A, in ancient times with religion, i.e. the temple. The temple in ancient times was in turn associated with the following things. One, with astronomy and astrology, i.e. with the science of forecasting human events. Two, with sacred geometries embodied both in the dimensions of the structure and in their placements and alignments on an earth grid. Three, with the issuance of money, both in the forms of real money and its facsimile as interest-bearing debt. Four, with slavery. B, in modern times, with not only religion, but with science and scientists determined to break out of the paradigm of energy scarcity being based on non-renewable resources and who were seeking to develop new physics paradigms with new energy technologies. C, and in modern times, we saw evidence of corporate and banking interests in the vast database indicating a correlation and correspondence between economic cycles and cycles of purely physical activity, cycles that, in Dewey's estimation, were inevitable because they were due to deeper underlying physical reasons and not simply the result of policy or aggregate human action. But the question highlighted in this fashion only remains. Why are they persistently associated with these things? Why does one find banksters manipulating such drastic curtailings of money supply when, when both cyclic data and astrological lore would indicate that such downturns were inevitable? The answer to these questions requires that we now assemble all the physics pieces of the puzzle outlined in the preceding pages into a single catalog determine their underlying principles, and then correlate these with the above patterns of bankster activities and policies. Only then does the disturbing answer and picture of their motivations and possible agenda emerge. B, the physics, the financial alchemy, and the banksters. One, assembling the pieces. Looking back over the assembled physics and financial data of previous chapters, the following salient features emerge. One, 
according to Dewey and Dakin and the Foundation for the Study of Cycles, economic activity occurs in cycles of boom and bust. That's so funny, right? Of course, again, I'm going to go back to the little book of economics. And this, these are things that most people who listen to anything about economics, finance, and money know about, right? You've heard the terms boom and bust, but it's just interesting once again, this is the section that I read today from the Little Book of Economics. And again, I'll repeat it here. The Swiss historian Jean-Charles Sismondi was the first to identify the occurrence of periodic economic crises. But it was the work of a later economist, the Frenchman Charles Donoyer, 1786 to 1862, who revealed their cyclical form. Sismondi challenged the market-knows-best orthodoxy of Adam Smith, Jean-Baptiste Say and David Ricardo. They believe that if the market is left to its own devices, an economic equilibrium is quickly and easily achieved. But according to Sismondi and uh, Dunoyer, it's cyclic. And this is the cycles that these banksters are so-called manipulating. So let's look at that again. According to Dewey and Dakin and the Foundation for the Study of Cycles, economic activity occurs in cycles of boom and bust. Oh, yeah. And the thing that reminded me of that is that's what the exact uh, t subtitle of this chapter was in the Little Book of Economics. It's titled, The Economy is a Yo-Yo. I previously recorded it here on Wisdom, Spreaker, and Colin. And it's The Economy is a Yo-Yo, Boom and Bust, right? So, according to Dewey and Dakin and the Foundation for the Study of Cycles, economic activity occurs in cycles of boom and bust. And these cycles are exact analogs to physical longitudinal waves of sound, i.e. of compression and rarefaction. As such, these cycles are in a certain sense inevitable and impervious to human action. But the overall downward and upward trend of a cycle can be dampened or exacerbated by human policy and activity. Also, interesting enough, these these uh, things that he says here, that um, that in a certain sense, he says, as such, these cycles are in a certain sense inevitable and impervious to human action. This is interesting also because it's way before in uh, the Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith, right? Which he says uh, in the the first sort, right? The increasing abundance of food in consequence of increasing improvement and cultivation must necessarily increase the demand for every part of the produce of land which is not food and which can be applied either to use or ornament. Um, let me see. Wait, that's part three. Let's see. I'm going to look back at the part that correlates with this, which is uh, human food seems to be the only produce of the land which always necessary for some rent to the land. There are other sorts of produce. Oh, no, it must be the first part here, but this is, uh, this is the connection. I think it's in part one. I know it was in the beginning of one of these sections. He states it very clearly. Mm. The, of the produce of land which always must produce mm. of the rent of land. In the circumstances of the land and adjusting the terms of leaf. Where is that? Mm, as men, like all other animals, naturally multiply in proportion of subsistence. Food is always more or less in demand. It can purchase greater quantity. There's a part specifically where he mentions in here that, um, that it's inevitable that um, these things cannot be changed. Sometimes human food. Um, 
I'm missing it here, but this is my learning process. All those other ones I had right ready at hand, but um, this one seems to be eluding me a little bit. Oh, here we go. Oh, yes, there we go. There we go. I found it. It's the first sort that he's talking about. So he says, and this is Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations, the first sort of rude produce of which the price rises in the progress of improvement is that which is it is scarce in the power of human industry to multiply at all. It consists in those things which nature produces only in certain quantities and which being of a very perishable nature, it is impossible to accumulate together the produce of many different seasons. So the important part here is that it is scarce in the power of human industry to multiply at all. Scarce in the power of human industry to multiply at all, as he says here in uh, Babylon's Banker, as such, these cycles are in a certain sense inevitable and impervious to human action. But the overall downward and upward trend of a cycle can be dampened or exacerbated by human policy and activity. So only dampened and exacerbated, but um, it's somewhat impervious, as he said. Continuing with Babylon's Banksters, two, Dewey and Dakin posit that a deeper physics may lie behind such economic cycles, a fact loosely corroborated by Nelson's study of the variations in radio signal propagation and planetary alignments, and by Gover's study of American depressions, which seem to occur near astrological alignments called Grand Crosses. It was also noted that the Grand Cross pattern mentioned by Gover also closely responded to the type of planetary alignments noted by Nelson in his RCA, or Radio Corporation of America, study. Three, all of this was further corroborated by the global scaling theory of Dr. Harmut Mueller, who noticed that physical objects themselves, including human social and demographic activity, clustered around certain nodal points of standing waves in logarithmic space. Mueller went on to posit that these nodal points may indicate a real physics of the physical medium, i.e., that such clustering was due to the interference of longitudinal waves in the physical medium itself. On, on this view, Mueller's theory is very close to the views of ancient alchemy, which posits that the physical medium is a transmutative medium, creating information in its differentiations, which in turn become the physical objects of creation. And that's also very close to the subquantum kinetics of... Um, Paul Alo Violet. Uh, he also has a book called Subquantum Kinetics, which it's interesting. I think it's curiously missing from my library. Um, where do I have it? Let me take a look and see if I can find Subquantum Kinetics really quickly here. Where is Subquantum Kinetics? I know I have the the reader here. I wonder if I planted it, and I just want to take a look. Subquantum Kinetics. Why is it not in my my library? I know I did buy it from Paul A. LaViolette. Um, hmm. Interestingly, not here. Where is that? Don't I have it? Sub-quantum. Kinetics. Where is it? No results for sub-quantum kinetics in my library. Um, hmm, I wonder if it's on my other device. That's really weird. Well, I'm not going to harp on that too much. 
I'm going to stay on my reading here of uh, Babylon's Bankster. I'll get to it later. There'll be some more research. But yeah, his Etheron theory is the same thing as that the physical medium is a transmutative medium. And I'm talking about Paul Ayla Violet. It's similar to Mueller's theory that the uh, physical medium is a transmutative medium, creating information in its differentiations, which in turn become the physical objects of creation, um, i.e. the subquantum part of the quantum subquantum mm -hmm. particles or the, uh, I'm sorry, the, the subatomic particles and everything that creates physical matter, which is also something posited by other mathematicians um, in the sine and cosine waves that depending on whether they're symmetrical or asymmetrical in their interference that they become physical information as well as physical objects. So continue, and that's moving them from non-physical unextended domains as Descartes would call it, or Descartes would call it unextended domains, which we consider non-physical, um, and then translating those using something like a Fourier transform, which translate those signals much like you could transform information about music into a physical sound wave, um, and then back to information again. Continuing, as was noted, Mueller's theory came to the attention of the German Institute for Space Energy Research, which applied his theories to note the deep physics behind human social action and organization. Four, similar views of matter as a template or interference, interference pattern of such waves were expressed by quantum and plasma physicist David Bohm. Five, since in these views, matter is the result of a template or in interference pattern of such waves in the medium, large masses such as planets and stars are natural resonators of such waves. Stars in particular are resonators of such waves since, as rotating balls of plasma, which in turn, according to David Bohm, exhibit phenomena of self-organization and response to the intelligent instruct and respond to the intelligent instructions of the physical medium, they act as efficient natural resonators of the medium. As Richard C. Hoagland noted, it appears that the ancient societies, with their emphasis on stars as portals or gates to higher dimensions, preserved a legacy of this deep physics. Six, as natural resonators of these standing waves in the medium, it was also noted that planets set up within themselves a gridwork or template of such wave interference patterns on their surfaces, which it was posited may be the physical basis for the evidence of an earth grid and of the placement of ancient sites and temples over these nodal points. A similar claim was made by Tesla for his wireless transmission of, of power facility on Long Island called Wardenclyffe. According to Tesla, in order for his system to work, it was necessary for it to grip the earth. Seven, as Dr. Constantin Mayo also noted, Many such temples themselves appear to be constructed in their dimensions to be natural resonators of such waves. Mayo posited that such temples actually functioned as a means of instantaneous radio communications by means of scalar waves, using the sensitive membranes of slaughtered animals to register and measure the pulses of such waves. And finally, eight, as noted by British researcher Hayes, DNA appears to be designed along the same lines, and principles of sacred geometry, sacred geometry, and the Hermetic Code. As such, DNA itself would seem to be a natural resonator of such waves. 2. The Underlying Principle Examining each of these eight points, 
an obvious underlying physical principle of action is implied, which may be reduced to three components. One, all action within the physical medium of space-time itself is constituted of longitudinal waves of compression and rarefaction within it. Two, these in turn give rise to matter, which in the form of planets and, more importantly, stars or rotating plasma, are natural transducers of such waves. And three, a system of such masses, i.e. a solar system, will, in its constantly changing dynamics, both resonate to and in turn give off an ever-changing dynamic of interference pattern or template of such waves, forming, perhaps, the ultimate and now lost scientific basis of astrology. In this, since DNA would seem to be a natural resonator of such interference patterns or templates through long through long processes of observation, the precise claim made for astrology in ancient Sumeria, it may have been possible to predict human response via DNA to such patterns in the aggregate, as Dewey and Dakin suggested, and as the influx of physicists with their analytical methods into economics and finance in the latter half of the 20th century implies. A. The reason the reasons for the banksters' ancient associations with the temple. We are now, at last, in a position to see why, at least in ancient times, one finds the persistent pattern of the presence of bullion brokers or banksters within the temple. For with the astrological and oracular preoccupations of those temples, this would give such a class immediate access to one, prediction, i.e. advanced knowledge of cycles of human activity and emotional responses. Two, communication, for if male's hypothesis should be borne out by subsequent scientific investigation and experiment, access to the temple would have given them access to a means of virtually instantaneous communication across a great part of the world's surface. Three, this in turn would have thus afforded them a means to a concerted and coordinated activity and social manipulation. A coordination we saw was strongly suggested by the bullion policies of ancient Rome vis-a-vis -vis the Far East. And finally, four, if one assumes the truthfulness of the scenario of an ancient and cosmic war outlined at the beginning of chapter one, access to the residues of this lost science via a close association with the ancient temple would have also given the banksters the means, ultimately, to recover and reconstruct the technologies of hegemony and mass destruction that are implied by that scenario, technologies which in turn are based on exactly the same type or paradigm of physics. It will be evident from the foregoing list that this pattern has persisted into modern times. Witness only the close association of Morgan with Tesla and Morgan's eventual suppression of Tesla. There are countless other examples, of course. ITT's suppression of the Philo Farnsworth's, of Philo Farnsworth's successful plasma fusion experiments. The suppression of Dr. Ronald Richter's fusion experiments in Argentina. And on and on the list could go. The same pattern holds as well during the interim period between ancient and modern times. For during that period, one finds the persistent interest of the royal houses in Europe in alchemy, the ability to transmute base metals into gold. Gold, the reasons are now evident for the private issuance of the fast mail of money as an interest-bearing debt note took from them the most ancient prerogative of governments and kings the issuance of debt-free money on the productive output of the state. Hmm.
So one more time. The same pattern holds as well during the interim period between ancient and modern times, for during that period one finds the persistent interests of the royal houses in Europe in alchemy, the ability to transmute base metals into gold. The reasons are now evident for the private issuance of the facsimile of money as an interest-bearing debt note took from them the most ancient prerogative of governments and kings, the issuance of debt-free money on the productive output of the state. The motivations are clear enough from the physics, for at one and the same time, the banksters were trying to recover that ancient physics and with it, the genuine financial alchemy of state-created money. The banksters, for their part, are also found during the interim period and at both the modern and ancient poles of the story resorting to a kind of false alchemy of debt, a kind of negative financial information, while they are simultaneously and very quietly funding certain scientists who hold the promise of unlocking that ancient physics. Witness only Isaac Newton's preoccupations with alchemy, his membership in the Masonically controlled and inspired Royal Society, and the close connection of all these parties with the Dutch bankers that quietly and quickly assumed control of England's money. 3. The Possible Agenda The careful reader will have noticed an immediate implication of the previous consideration, and that is that, as far back as ancient times, the persistent agenda of the bankster class, the international bullion brokers, has been coordinated, has been a coordinated action that aimed at global reach, but with ever larger and larger empires being created, provoking ever more wars and ever more business for themselves. And thus we end where we began in modern times and the persistent and consistent evidence that this class is truly after a global hege hegemony. As David Assel pointed out, and as was reviewed in chapter five, this hegemony quickly and very early in its history realized that all ancient pantheons and myths were more or less identical. And thus that religion itself is not not only held profound clues to the reconstruction of the lost science they sought to recover, but that it could function as a powerful tool of social manipulation to assist in that agenda. Not for nothing does one find a Rockefeller dynasty supporting the work and agenda of the World Council of Churches from its inception, or of various seminaries with a suitable social agenda, nor a Rothschild dynasty sponsoring various similar work. In this, monotheism really masks as a front for their own designs, with the claims of the three great monotheistic religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, seemingly tailor-made for the manipulation and exploitation of conflict. But to what end all this machination? While many have guessed at the motivations for this vast and ancient conspiracy, no one seems to have approached anything like a final answer. I certainly cannot claim to have done so either, but an answer does suggest itself from the preceding pages, namely that they are indeed trying to reconstruct a lost mythical past, a global golden age with a supremely sophisticated science with which they can dominate and subjugate the earth.
but to reconstruct it on the scale required and implied by their enterprise itself will require that virtually the entire planet and its resources must be at their disposal. What they intend to do after that is beyond the scope and purpose of this essay, but an answer does suggest itself, for if, as was seen, at least one of these banking dynasties, the Rothschilds, are alleged to trace their lineage back to Nimrod, half-human, half-divine offspring of the gods who once descended to earth and sired children of human mothers, then perhaps they seek ultimately to return to the stars. But tracing that lineage and that motivation is a whole other story. For this story, however, the lesson is clear. The false alchemy of the banksters and their issuance of the facsimile of money can only mean that money is based on scarcity and debt, on non-renewable energy sources, and on a paradigm of physics and energy, and a system that must ultimately consume itself in endless slavery and wars. It is high time to have done with them. That was actually quicker than I thought it was. But again, that is seems to be the breakaway of what Bricks is attempting to do, to break away from this this false alchemy of the banksters and the issuance of facsimile money, the money that's based on scarcity and debt, on non-renewable energy sources, and on a paradigm of physics and energy, and a system that must ultimately consume itself in endless slavery and wars. Something that apparently we've seen time and time again. And there's no reason for me to drag this on any longer. There is no more in Babylon's Banksters. I finished it more quickly than the other books. Um, let's see, there is uh, ooh, a Wikipedia Econophysics. Edward Dewey, the Foundation for the Study of Cycles is here. Lots of references in the back of this book. Let's see, is there anything else that I would need to look at before I close this out? And put this up onto... Uh, what's already recorded here automatically on Wisdom and Colin, but do I need to do anything else? No, we are finished. This is great. So I got one book in this tandem reading series down. Um, that's all that there is. So we've been listening to Babylon's Banksters, um, Monopoly War, presented by Hakeem Alibokas Alexander on Spreaker Social Podcasting, Wisdom Social Audio Inc and call-in social podcasting presented for World Reading Club in association with ExercisingYourMind.com and Uniquilibrium. In the call-in show notes, there is a link that you can download the book Babylon's Banksters. Um, this reading focus came to us from Babylon's Banksters by Joseph P. Farrell, 2010. This was the final reading of it, chapter 9, which is titled, The Banksters Real Business, The Pattern of War, Scarcity, Suppression, Slavery, and Monopolization.